Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. A very warm welcome to all of you, whether you're here in person or joining us online. This morning, we're going to begin a new sermon series that will run over uh, six weeks. It is based on a book by Kyle Eidelman titled Gods at War. It explores idolatry, the idols in our hearts, a battle for our loyalty and our allegiance. For those who do not know me, I was not always a Christian, nor was I born into a Christian family. My religion was passed down to me from my parents and generations before them. Uh, I find it hard to give it a name because its beliefs uh, are quite eclectic. But I and my five other siblings embraced it dutifully because in many Asian societies, filial piety, the honor and respect of your parents, is a very, very entrenched value. A strong uh, feature of the religion includes the worship of idols, some of whom were uh, people uh, or animals, uh, but they have been elevated to godlike status with very specific traits and qualities. They're worshipped, worshipped at temples, uh, but adherents would also have a large altar in the living room or dining room. On it, you'd have statues or picture of the gods or goddesses of your preference, and there are over 200 of them uh, to choose from. My parents chose the goddess of mercy, Quan Yin and Quan Ti, uh, who is often flanked by his son and squire. He's the god of war and immensely popular because of his control over evil spirits. My parents had their portraits hand-drawn, and it wasn't cheap. And also in our family, uh, our family home, were three porcelain figures of three gods who embody fortune, prosperity, and longevity. My personal favorites were the goddess of mercy and the ball-headed god of longevity. I like the goddess of mercy because she had lovely motherly qualities about her. With the god of longevity, well, he just looked so grandfatherly. Around 1976, my oldest brother broke ranks with the family and became a Christian after a very powerful encounter with the Lord. I followed suit in 1979, and by 1982, the rest of my family were rescued by the grace and mercies of God. One of the things that uh, changed in our lives was we stopped worshiping idols, except we didn't. We did in the sense that we removed the idols physically from our home, and we never went back to worshiping these idols again. But in reality, we continued the practice of idol worship in other ways without even knowing it. They just, these idols just had different names. And so over the next few weeks, we're, we're going to be unpacking what idolatry is and what it looks like. But suffice to say that we're gravely mistaken if we think idolatry is archaic and doesn't apply to us in Brisbane because we don't bow down to statues or hand-painted or carved images. That's because idolatry is much, much more than that. Richard Keyes in his article, Idol Factory, explains, and I quote, A careful reading of the Old and New Testaments show that idolatry is nothing like the crude, simplistic picture that springs to mind of an idol sculpture in some distant country. The idea is highly sophisticated, drawing together the complexities of motivation and individual psychology 
the social environment, and also the unseen world. Idols are not just uh, on pagan altars, but in well-educated hearts and minds. The Bible does not allow us to marginalize idolatry to the fringes of life. It is found on center stage, unquote. And that's a very biblical, accurate observation, because in Ezekiel 14, uh, 14th chapter, verse 3, God had this to say about the elders of Israel. These men have set up idols in their hearts, not on altars, but in their hearts. In the New Old Testament, it's the sin of idolatry, the sin that, uh, that is addressed more than any other sin. Why? Because time and again, it was idolatry that crippled their faith in God. Take, for instance, within just three months or so, right after uh, the people of Israel's miraculous escape from Egypt, while they were at, at Mount Sinai, they got impatient with Moses, who was receiving the Ten Commandments. And so what did they do? They decided to make an idol in the form of a golden calf to worship. Is it any wonder, then, that the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments handed to Moses at Mount Sinai are against idolatry? Why is that? That's because at the heart of law-breaking is always idolatry. To put it in another way, it is not possible to break the other eight commandments without breaking the first two commandments. R.C. Sproul writes, every sin is an act of cosmic treason, a futile attempt to dethrone God in his sovereign authority. So idolatry is the sin beneath all sins, the root of all humanity's problems. It is not an issue. It is the issue. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see a long line of prophets, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, who all rail against the worship of idols, denouncing them as mere construct of our minds and hands, powerless, and a pale, pale imitation of the one true God, Yahweh. In the book of Psalms, we find not only prayers offered to God, offered up to God, but also prayers against idolatry. King David wrote, for instance, in Psalms chapter 24, verses 3 to 4, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. But idolatry is not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus addressed idolatry by teaching that the greatest commandment upon all other commandments hang upon is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's essentially rephrasing the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, but in a positive way. In summing up the fall of humanity, Paul describes it in terms of idolatry. He associates the dynamics of, of human greed, lust, craving, and coveting with idolatry. You see, for Paul, idolatry is not just unethical. 
It is a symptom of something deeper. The ultimate reason for greed, according to Paul, is idolatry, the worship of money as a god. The worship of money as a god. He writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So what does this mean? It means this, that you can't fix greed without also addressing the worship of money as a God. And here are other examples of symptom-focused care and quick-fix methodology. If you have a debt problem, Cut up your credit card, credit cards. If you have an anger problem, problem, take a deep breath and count to 10. If you have marriage issues, well, then work on your communication and schedule date nights. If you have weight problems, go on a diet and join a gym. Now, all of these actions uh, are helpful and they're wise, but they're not complete. They're not enough because the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. And the issue ultimately is idolatry. I don't know whether you've noticed this uh, in the letter that the Apostle John wrote in 1 John, how it ends really abruptly. It ends at verse 21, chapter 5. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves as in to be on guard against idols. It's interesting to note uh, that prior to this, the Apostle John did not mention idolatry once as a threat to the community. He had been writing passionately about walking the light, walking in holiness, walking in truth, and walking in love. So why, why did he then just introduce this line here in verse 21. Well, there are three possibilities, three possible reasons. Well, he didn't think to mention idolatry until now. Uh, second possibility, a uh, second possibility. Well, he is beginning an introduction to a new segment of his letter that has gone missing. Or thirdly, in his statement, he's summing up in negative terms, what he has spent the whole letter putting it in the positive. In other words, he's saying it is not possible to walk in holiness, to walk in love, to walk in truth without keeping our hearts from idolatry. So what is an idol? Well, I think uh, Keller's comprehensive definition is very helpful and excellent. It's a long one but I'll break it up uh, with some brief comments. He writes, quote, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I'll just stop there. This is probably one of the most accurate telltale signs of whether something or someone has become 
an idol in your life. Let me illustrate. Uh, when you lose a loved one, it is natural to feel extreme stress and pain. That's sorrow. But sorrow is very different from despair, where you feel your, your life is not worth living, not worth continuing. And the difference between the two is idolatry. About three years ago, this young couple, Jason and Alice, uh, engaged from the UK. Uh, they, they've been together for, for eight years. Now they travel the world, and after some time, they decided to settle in Perth. They had no family there. Now, Jason was just yards from the couple's home when he was hit by a car driven by a, a domino delivery driver. Tragically, he died later in the hospital. Within an hour of being informed of Jason's death, Ellis sent a text to Jason's phone saying she loved him and that she would join him soon. Heartbroken, she later committed suicide. Can you see how Alice had made an idol out of Jason? She turned a good thing in her life into the ultimate thing. And when that ultimate thing was taken from her, she saw no reason for living. All hope is gone, all hope is lost, all reason to live was no more. Let's continue with Keller's uh, definition of what, what an idol is. Quote, an idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, career, and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brain, a great political or social cause, your morality, and virtue, and even success in Christian ministry. Unquote. Can you see why identifying idolatry in your life is so difficult? Because it can be anything and anyone. And furthermore, an idol often starts off as a good thing, as a wonderful thing. Now, let me be clear that God is not against family. He's not against making money. He's not against career. He's not against achievements, approval, romantic relationships, marriage, and so on and so forth. In and of themselves, there's nothing immoral about them. But when they become an end in themselves, when they consume us, when it's all we talk about, read about, think about, <clears throat> when there are things that we obsess over, when they replace God, <clears throat> on the throne of our hearts, then we have broken the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments. Finally, he continues, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I'll, I'll have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Unquote. 
This is another great indicator of idolatry at work in our hearts. John, it was not his real name, was a single guy in his 40s. After many years of uh, walking away from the Lord, he comes back to him, comes back to God after a profound encounter with him. The impact of that encounter was immediate. His face lit up like a Christmas tree. He was hungry for God, and he was desperate uh, to know more about God, to, to find out more about God. But he was also desperate to find love in the opposite sense. He wanted desperately to find a partner and get married. Now, before uh, this incredible encounter he had with God, he had just ended a relationship with a girl that he had been for several years. Though it was a, a messy breakup, he moved on, surprisingly, very quickly from that relationship. He could see it was an unhealthy relationship. But as a Christian now, he was very confident that God will help him find love again by providing a Christian girl for him. There were a couple of girls that he was attracted to, but the feelings were not mutual. Over time, he became more and more and more desperate because he couldn't find love. No one was interested in him, even though he was interested in many. He couldn't talk or think about anything else. Every conversation was about how lonely he was and how unhappy he was. And if God would just provide a girl and, 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 and a wife for him, then he'd be happy. He'll be fulfilled. Uh, that is all he wants uh, from God. If God could just deliver a wife, then he'd do anything for him as a trade-off. Now, when nothing happened over a period of time, he snapped. His despair turned to anger, and his anger turned to rage at God. And you could see that he began to harden his heart toward God. You could see it on his face. It became darker and darker and darker. Eventually, he cut, cut God out of his life. He didn't want to have anything to do with God anymore. Because God was not as loving as he thought he would be. Reflecting on his people's choice to worship a golden calf at Mount Sinai, the psalmist wrote, the people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating you cannot get more descriptive than that. What a terrible trade. What a tragedy. Completely irrational, right? The God of the universe for a statue? The God of the universe who's compassionate, who's slow to anger, abounding in love, kind, loving, just, for trading that for a statue, but that is what John did. And that is what we do. When we put someone, when we put something 
when we put a cause, no matter how great it is, in the place of God in our lives. Can you see why now? Can you see now why the sin of idolatry is mentioned more than any other sins in the Old Testament? It is more pervasive, it is more subtle, and is more destructive than we realize. John Calvin famously said that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Note that in the first two commandments that prohibits idolatry, God does not envision a third option or a none of the above option. We will either worship him who is uncreated or other gods who are created. There's no possibility of worshiping nothing. Peter Kraft, the philosopher, puts it this way. The opposite of theism is not atheism. It's idolatry. Everyone must live for something. But the scripture tells us, but for the conviction of God's Holy Spirit and his intervention, it is unlikely it will be God himself. Brothers and sisters, there's a battle. There's a real battle raging in our hearts for the control of our affection, our trust, and obedience. With COVID-19, there's a lot of angst and feelings of disenchantment out there about our future. Because many idols that we often build our significance, meaning, and hope on have been exposed and undermined. So this season represents a great opportunity for us to go earnestly to God and with his help and wisdom, discern the idols of our hearts. Keller writes, quote, the only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one, the living God who revealed himself at Mount Sinai and on the cross is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you, and if you fail him, can truly forgive you. So remember this as we look at the specific idols in the coming weeks, the God of pleasure, the God of love, the God of money, the God of, God of power, and the God of me. I conclude with uh, Joshua's parting words and alarming words to his people some 75 years later after the exodus from Egypt. And I'm paraphrasing. It comes from Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15 and 23. Choose this day whom you will serve, the gods of your fathers or the gods of the surrounding culture. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then he says to them, now, if that is your choice, O people of Israel, then throw away these gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That they were worshiping Yahweh side by side with these gods that are hidden in their tents or hidden in their places of abode. They were worshiping, worshiping Yahweh alongside these idols. And God will have none of that. So let's seek the Lord that he might speak to us and expose the idol of our hearts to free us so that we would follow and serve the one true God. So our application this week is just two. First, I'd like you to meditate on the following scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. 
In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33, Ezekiel 14, verse 3, and 2 Kings 17, verse 33. The second application is to read Keller's definition of an idol all over again. Uh, if you're on our mailing list, you would receive our church bulletin and on the church bulletin in the sermon section. Uh, I've written out there Keller's definition. So you can look at it very carefully. And as you look, read it, reread it, and, and do it slowly and prayerfully, and ask yourself whether there's anything in your life that fits his description of what an idol is. Dialogue with God, honestly, about this. And as he reveals uh, the idols of your heart, seek his forgiveness, but also his wisdom moving forward. How do I defeat these idols that are in my heart? What are they doing there in the first place? How did they get to be occupying such a significant part of my heart. Seek the counsel of others. There are no uh, easy fix answers, but we've got to start from somewhere. So I suggest that's the place to start. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, you are fully aware of the idols that are in our hearts, even if we're not. Idolatry is inevitable. But that does not mean that we do nothing about it. Your command, your commandments that prohibit uh, idolatry still stands. We are to have no other gods. And we are to worship no other gods but you. So Lord, in your kindness, in your mercy, lead us to repentance. Show us, Lord. These, these idols, their names, who they are, that are occupying the throne of our hearts. Idols that command our affection. These idols that command our, our trust. These idols that command our obedience. Lord, reveal them to us. And thank you that you will. Thank you, Lord, that you will walk with us over this as we respond to Joshua's commitment. To choose you. And in choosing you, it does mean that we will throw away these gods that are among us, that are in our hearts, and yield our hearts fully to you. We ask for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.